You're listening to the Growth Exponential Podcast. I'm your host, Bradley Caro Cook. Today, we're joined by Lawrence Brian Jenkins, who's the president and founder of Entrenuity. The mission of Entrenuity is to prepare entrepreneurs for true success through experiential entrepreneurship and spiritual development training. Brian, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's great to have you because you're doing such important work. And I mean, I'm not going to go into explaining it, but can you go at a, at a high level and, and share with us a little bit about Entrenuity? Sure. So I launched Entrenuity in 1999 as a nonprofit organization to train primarily youth um, on the west and south sides of Chicago um, in urban, who are, you know, pretty stressed out urban situations in entrepreneurship education. So our goal was to, and still is to basically, you know, teach some business planning skills, how to, t- how to take an idea, create a strategy around it and actually launch it and generate revenue. Um, they, kids love that. Adults love that. Uh, and that's at the core of what we do. We do entrepreneurship training. It's so important what, what you're doing, especially in the area where you're working. I, I run the entrepreneurship uh, incubator for the city of Beverly Hills and founded it. And, but honestly, like everybody needs entrepreneurship. But like, I believe that especially individuals who aren't necessarily brought up with the silver spoon in their mouth have, ha- have the greatest opportunities to advance and create even multi-generational success Very for their so. families. I'm super curious, what's your backstory? The backstory is that I was a English and religion major at the University of Iowa and had no interest in business whatsoever. I took one class in in five years of undergrad that was a business class and it was called business law and I dropped it the first week because it was boring. I got into entrepreneurship really because I was the, the, the backstory that most people don't know is that I was pursuing my wife. She was at a teaching an after school program on the west side of Chicago. They had an entrepreneurship program that came in and they needed another teacher. We were dated at the time and it was just more time to spend with her. So here I am, I volunteered, didn't know exactly what I was volunteering for, knew I wanted to make an impact with kids um, and their families, but had no idea what I was signing up for. I didn't even know how to spell the word, I don't think entrepreneur at the time. I've kind of fell into this um, in pursuing her. Truth be told, it was the only entrepreneurship class we, you know, we've ever taught. We've been married for 26 years. That was the only class we ever taught together, period. So, um, but I've been involved with entrepreneurship education since then. That was back in, I was actually back in 94 and, uh, you know, went on to, launched my own, you know, I'm an entrepreneur in 99. Oh, that's great. And when you say you didn't know what you were getting into, was that a double not sure what you were getting into, both on the entrepreneurship and the getting married part? Or was that just on the entrepreneurship part? (laughs) My wife, if she were here, would tell me it took me about five to 10 years to learn how to be married. So yes, and, and the entrepreneurship part was much easier than learning how to be married. But here we are 26 years later, and she's been the backbone of getting entrepreneurity off the ground. Because when we started, it was just an idea, you know, and I had experience in with working for other companies and everything, but I really did not know how to actually, you know, run and operate a business or a nonprofit. Um, and, you know, when I actually launched, so it's, there's a lot there. How, how much do you take what you teach to help further develop or pivot or advance Entrenuity. A lot. Um, you know, I spent about, before I launched Entrenuity, I was, you know, I worked in the field for, of entrepreneurship education for about seven years. So I, I, you know, I cut my teeth with some of the, you know, 
pretty pretty solid organizations in in the entrepreneurship area. Nifty um, being one of them, based out of New York, that's where I learned you know a lot of the hands-on principles that I did um, that I learned. And then um, when I actually went out on my own, I found myself thinking I had lost my last job. I was working for this other company, got fired. Um, company ran out of money. And it was one of those deals where I said, it's time for me to put into play what I've been teaching kids and their families for seven years to see if it could really work for me and provide for my family as well. And um, so I implemented what I was actually teaching and it was not by any means easy, but you know, here we are 23 or 24 years later. And I could say that it was one of the best decisions that I actually made. Wow. And wow. And that's so incredibly inspiring. Now, I, I know that you uh, recently wrote and released a book. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes. The book is called No More Nonprofits, colon, Moving from Dependency to Sustainability. And the no is a play on, it's K-N-O-W, not N-O-W. And the reason I wrote the book was because of the challenges that I experienced as an African-American leader um, in the nonprofit industry and how I had to, I mean, I walked into this industry wanting to do good, but had no idea what the industry was all about. And so it's kind of like if I was right into myself 20 years ago is what, you know, no more non-for-profits, you know, what are the things that you need to know when you walk into an industry, whether you have a, you know, whether you're trying to do good or not, there's certain things that you need to know period, regardless, you know, when you walk into any industry. So it's kind of like, honestly, there's a lot of my frustrations. I really wanted to stop and quit. You know, I've experienced a lot of, a lot of things that you know, would make others quit as well, but I was really dedicated and committed to this vision I had for what, you know, training, you know, youth and adults on the Western South Side of Chicago could be in, in the sense of their ownership. So it became, how do we create a nonprofit that's less dependent upon typical donations and donors and relationships of things that I never had. Most, you know, people who don't have those resources will never have, you know, but you still need to launch and meet your goals and your objectives. And so it's my story of literally, you know, moving from dependency to sustainability, because at the end of the day, you want to be able to meet your missional goals and values without being dependent upon someone else. Uh, that's the American dream, right? Absolutely. I'm, I'm super curious as well. Can you share with us some of the programs that you're running and the, the impact that they're making? Yes, so we've, we are making, we're working as, with many adults now as well as we are with youth. But one of the things that our newest deal is that we just built a building here in the South Loop um, in Chicago um, that we're um, it's called Moxie. Moxie is our co-working enterprise level co-working space. You know, in a prime area in Chicago where we essentially have about eight, 13 private offices, open co-working space, conference rooms, targeted with the intention to bring and grow Black, Latinx, and women entrepreneurs. So. To provide them, we have a tag word of the three C's, coaching, connecting, and capitalizing. The coaching is a training, our programs. We have a, like a six-week plan to launch class. I wrote another book called Starting Up Now, 24 Steps to Launch Your Own Business. It's a simple business plan book. You know, I wrote it with the intention for someone who has no experience in business whatsoever, but has an idea. My favorite chapter in the book is chapter seven, the big idea, because everybody has an idea. But the goal was to be able to take 
to be able to take people and to guide them through, demystify the business process so they can form an idea, create a strategy and get it off the ground. And so Moxie, our co-working space is essentially that. It provides the resources, the technology, all the things that many of us who are entrepreneurs never had when we got, you know, when we launched. I mean, I literally launched Entrepreneurity on the third floor of our house. We didn't have air conditioning at the time and my um, computer would get so hot it would shut off. And so my story is, is that a friend of mine from church came over one day and he said, no, you don't need to be functioning out of here. You know, and he invited me into his office and they had air. And that was it. You know, I love that. And so I always had in the back of my mind, you know, how can we create enterprise level workplace for entrepreneurs to operate and run their business from and do it with excellence? That's definitely the goal that we all strive for. Absolutely. And to be able to capitalize on that opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because in today's times, we so often don't hear people saying the word capital or capitalize because there's been such a, a negative connotation associated with it. Are you seeing that at all in that space? And are you trying to like redefine the word or how are you in, engaging and educating on the idea of capitalizing? Great question. Yeah, we, for the groups that, and the people that we work with, it's not necessarily a negative idea all the time, even though I could certainly see how it could be. We try to push is that, that your relational capital is as valuable as the capital itself. I, I have learned over the past couple of years, you know, because of the work that I was doing and over the years, our network has grown. You know, we know people who have financial resources and connections and all those things. And a buddy of mine was telling me years ago, you know, six or seven years ago, he said, Brian, change, he basically said, you don't need to worry about the money so much. You need to be able to focus on the execution of your ideas, on the accountability, and also creating the best product or service that you can. So I literally changed my mind from the nonprofit, what I call the nonprofit hustle of chasing dollars to essentially saying, how can I take starting up now in our tool and turn it into the best resource that we could. We put it online. We did a lot of different things, went through a lot of different updates and changes, but I wanted to make sure the product and the service was great. And so, and understanding how I could capitalize on having a, a great product or service in the marketplace and the capital that I earned could drop that we drove back into the organization could then help, help expand our impact. So I look at capital as a tool, not, a, not as a, as a, you know, as a, as a destination, so to speak, you know, we, we leverage capital to make the impact that we want to be able to make. That's powerful. Speaking about impact, can you share a couple of success stories with us? Yeah. Years ago, um, there were some students that I worked with from Roseland Christian schools, a school in the South side of Chicago. We taught the entrepreneurship class. These kids are about in eighth grade at the time, seventh grade at the time, and they launched a vending machine business. And so actually, the backstory is that there was a lady that sold kids snacks after school through her basement window. You know, she was not friendly. Kids didn't like buying from her, but, you know, she was the only person in, you know, that was near the school that was sell. And so the two of the kids in, in our program said, hey, we're going to do something about that. And so they first started selling. They, they went to our class, created a business plan and started selling um, snacks at lunch at the table. And they ran into a problem, you know, with their customer at the school is that all the kids were lined up buying their snacks instead of buying the lunches. 
So the, the principal came back and said, hey, and they were doing, you know, this is, you know, these are seventh graders. They were probably doing three to four hundred dollars a day. And the principal came back and, you know, and said, hey, you know, we got to change this because we got lunches that we pay for that are not that are not being bought. So what they what they ended up working out was that they saved up enough money to buy a vending machine and they called it DNS snacks. And the vending machine earned on average around $30,000 a year, you know, for the first two years. And then when they graduated from high school, they passed the business down to their sisters and who, you know, obviously, you know, ran it for the, you know, for a period of time. But that was one of the highlights of my career because of the, you know, these two kids that were, they were actually the seventh graders in an eighth grade class. They didn't win the business. You know, we do a pitch competition. They didn't win, but they saved their money and got this started. And the kid that did want win, who was, you know, a much better public speaker, much more eloquent, never got his idea off the ground. And these two younger kids who were the youngest in the class actually implemented and they were phenomenal. Just to tap into a couple of the points that you made, which is, which is really interesting to think about is so often individuals that are the the talkers that are the most eloquent that are great on stage that are grabbing the attention of individuals and can talk a good game aren't necessarily the the ones that are able to deliver on that which is the goal or plan or being said and i always feel like if if it's planned out mm-hmm. and your ex and one's executing on the plan Yes. then there's actual metrics and a, and a way to go rather than just faking one's way through life, which is wild. It's like pe- people's profiles or social media profiles, how they speak. Do you find that that serves as a, a disadvantage though? Because I mean, so much about growing business is also on the others and like being able to present oneself and being able to pitch. Do you do any work or development with your participants in that space? In fact, we just had a couple of weeks ago what we call a capital matchmaker. And that's where we invite three. Um, these are This program is for adults who have been operational for a while, but may need more exposure for their concept. And so what we did, we you know put an application out there. I think we had about 50 different app- people that applied and we selected three different founders to pitch their idea to our network of, of investors or donors. And the key thing that we did is once we identified them, you obviously had to vet them to make sure they were on the, you know, on the real and the up and up, but then we had to, you know, make sure their product or service that they were, you know, marketing and selling actually fit within, within the, the sphere of what we were trying to, you know, push. We like to, we like to push essential type, essential business type of things that things that people actually need. We have, you know, a slant towards technology. And so these three founders came, this is all virtual, of course, because of COVID, pitched their idea. And two of the founders ended up creating what we call a capital relationship with one of our investors and our donors, because, you know, our goal is, you know, for the capital matchmaker is to identify Black, Latinx, and women founders because of the funding or the the VC funding discrepancy is extremely, if you're Black or Latinx or, or a woman. And so I want to, you know, be able to leverage our space. You know, we have a beautiful space here. We have these great connections to be able to make those kind of, you know, capital connections. And then it's from, you know, if their connection, if there's interest to be, you know, found, 
then it's up to you know those persons to take that relationship you know to the you know they want to explore an investment you know investment relationship you know from there further but it's what i didn't have when i first started was you know i didn't have somebody trying you know intentionally trying to make those connections for me you had to go out there and earn them you know which i did but also when it would have been a lot easier if i had some more connections to get up and running that old adage that your net worth is your network absolutely and your absolutely. network is your net worth Speaking about your participants and community members, how, how do you measure success? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. When we do a class, like we have a six-week plan to launch class, we do a pre and post test and like an assessment to, you know, to see where they are when they come in and when they, when they leave. But one of the key variables for us is the ability to execute their idea. So we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching. So for me, you know, I'm thinking of a, a woman that I work with who runs a company called Pivotal Impact. She had a great idea, a great concept, um, but her marketing plan, you know, was not fully developed. You know, it's kind of like she undervalued what she was bringing to the marketplace. You know, through a series of coaching sessions, we helped her to see what her value was, you know, what, what you know, basically what we call her, her value proposition, you know, common business term, but what made her unique within the marketplace. And then once she was able to determine that, it helped her, you know, kind of, you know, pivot on her pitch, you know, to really figure out who her target market was. And when she made that, it was kind of like a self-discovery. You know, we don't do the work. We help them to, you know, to discover the pathway for their success. So it was really just kind of mentoring and prodding and pushing, you know, and oftentimes pushing back on their ideas um, so that they can really figure out their own solution. We really don't want them to, we, we're not gonna do the work for them. I compare it to like, you know, the guys that take people up Mount Everest. You know, I can tell you the pathway, you know, I can show you the ropes here and there, but it's, it's your climb, it's your journey. I'm not there to do it for you. My job is to help you figure out your own pathway because then they really have to take ownership of it and it's a lot more successful for them. And we're, we're, we're a guide. We're, we're not, that's what we are. We're, we're really a guide. I, lo I, I love that. Just being a guide there to support and facilitate it. Mm -hmm. it, it makes me wonder uh, what is, what, how, what type of help do you need? I mean, you're doing such important work. What are some of the ways that the listeners could help you? Yeah, we are the help that we're at right now. I would say at 20 plus years in this industry, I would really, really like to focus on making, you know, I mean, one of the things that we're going to, we're launching is what we call Moxie Venture Partners and Moxie Venture Partners is based our tool to connect investors to um, Black, Latinx, and women entrepreneurs. So we're, we're ultimately, and, that, and that's a, essentially a subscription base. What we, what we do is that we can, for someone who says, hey, they want to, you know, connect with, you know, with people of color for investment, you know, we basically go out there almost like a headhunter and try to find those entrepreneurs that are worthy what I would say an investment ready and investment worthy for the entrepreneur to potentially invest in. So we're kind of like a, for lack of better words, a search engine to meet those entrepreneurs. And we bring, you know, in three different events, we will bring them, you know, on site or virtually and, and be able to introduce them. So the key thing for us is identifying those entrepreneurs and also investors, you know, someone who may be interested in saying, hey, I want to invest, um, but I want to, I don't know, you know, where these entrepreneurs are, but if they could point them to us, we kind of like, we vet them, we take them through our process. And then we would like to, you know, there's an area where they need help or support, you know, like how to pitch, you know, how to, how to get an audit. You know, we have resources, you know, to be able to help them do that. But ultimately is to make that connection so that they can 
create an opportunity for themselves with possible VC fund, uh, venture capital funding. Mm, I love that. It, it's great to be able to provide that. It must feel really good. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, the vetting process, you know, you have a, it's, it's, it's interesting. You'll get 50 applications, you know, from people who want to, you, you think they're ready you, and maybe two are really ready, you know? So, and then it's the other back end services, you know, for those who say, Hey, you know, why didn't I make it? Well, we can need to get your financials in order. You, you know, your legal structure is not best suited for the direction that you're going in. So we, we, you know, we're not, what we try to do is not provide every service for them. We, we're not capable of doing that, but we what we can do is point them in the direction and, and point them to the resource that can. And also through our volunteer network, we have an extensive network of business owners who um, sometimes are at the end of their career, but they're not done. And so they want to be able to help. And so we try to make those kind of connections as well. So it's kind of going back to our three C's of coaching as a training. The connecting is really, really where it's at. You know, it's a connecting side. You know, how do we create those relationships? How do we connect those relationships? And then, you know, maybe it might turn into capital. It might not. But the key thing is they, you know, we want to have, we want to give them a seat at the table and an opportunity to pitch their idea. I'm sure after listening to this, uh, many listeners want to get involved. How do they find entrepreneurity and what's the best way? Yeah, they can. Um, so there's two different websites they can look us up on. There's entrepreneurity.com and that's E-N-T-R-E-N-U-I-T-Y.com. And that's like the, the marketing site, the home site. But if they want to see like Moxie, we, uh, you know, that's our center here. It's called Moxie Chicago and that's M-O-X-E Chicago.com. And there they can take a tour of our space. They can um, see the programs that we offer. We rent private offices and, you know, the whole co-work type deal. But it's it's about being a part of a network and a family. And in the space where we're at, pretty unique space. We have our, we, we purchased a coffee shop a couple of years ago and that's on the first floor. And then on the second floor is Moxie. So going back to this whole idea of, no, of, of nonprofits creating sustainable revenue, we buy, uh, believe it or not, for-profit businesses as a nonprofit and generate revenue through owning a for-profit business. So that's one of the ways that we create sustainability. I try to, I use a, a play off of PSA. Typically it's public safety announcement, public service announcement, but I say it's state the problem, identify a solution and initiate a marketplace action. So when I didn't have the contacts and I was launching Entrenuity, the one thing that I could do was teach. As a nonprofit, I would go into a for into a classroom, after school program, whatever you whatever wherever it was, and charge for my services as a nonprofit to come in and teach entrepreneurship. That you know led to entrepreneurity getting off the ground. At one point, seventy percent of my revenue came in through fee based services. Only thirty percent came through donations. In essence, in a different way, our coffee shops or for profit ventures that were that the nonprofit entrepreneurity owns employs, you know, about 30 people between the two coffee shops and Moxie. And we generate revenue through the coffee shops and renting out private offices and co-work space and all that kind of thing. So our investors, donors love the fact that we're not completely dependent on their dollar and we're actually generating revenue, providing jobs and exposure for people in the coffee industry. So it's, we're, we're, we're pretty unique. Sure does sound like it. Well, I want to thank you so much for all the good that you do and wish you tremendous success in all your worthy endeavors. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. 
You've been listening to the Growth Exponential Podcast. If you know an executive director or nonprofit professional that you think I should interview, shoot me an email at bradley at growthexponential.org.